Welcome to Ed Spark 21, the podcast from Battelle for Kids, dedicated to capturing conversations and spreading the word to advance 21st century deeper learning for every student. In this episode, Battelle for Kids president and CEO, Dr. Karen Garza, talks with education provocateur Ken Kay and Susie Boss, a writer and educational consultant, about their new book. Redefining Student Success, Building a New Vision to Transform Leading, Teaching, and Learning. In their new book, Redefining Student Success, Ken Kay and Susie Boss explore tools, ideas, and compelling examples that encourage a renewed vision for education, also known as a portrait of a graduate. They also explore bold leadership moves necessary to advance that new vision, resulting in enduring system transformation. I asked them to join me for this podcast to discuss how education leaders can reimagine education, address inequities, and meet the needs of today's learners. Here's our conversation. Well, Susie and Ken, I've really been looking forward to this conversation with you all. I thoroughly enjoyed your book, and I, I'll tell you that I found it, um, you know, of course, I've been so engaged in this work for so long, um, you know, I found it very affirming, and to hear the stories of, you know, wonderful leaders all throughout the country who've really taken this on and, and are leading this really important work throughout the country, so thank you for writing this book. We certainly <laughs> need this. We need, we need to be inspired at this time to really think differently about education, so let's get started with just having you tell us about why you uh, felt compelled to write this book and what, you know, what inspired you to do this? Well, there are a couple of initial thoughts I have, and Susie may want to add to it. Um, As you know, uh, Valerie Greenhill and I wrote a book almost a decade ago on 21st century education. So one of the pieces was to just update the work and, and capture in a comprehensive form the state of the field has advanced greatly. Uh, There's portraits of a graduate, there are portraits of an educator, and and there's a lot of work been done on implementation that just needed to be captured. Um, But the other reason I think is um, a gnawing feeling that a lot of the work was happening too incrementally, too Mm -hmm. slow. And um, we, we sort of felt like part of that may have been our fault. When people heard the four C's, they basically went quickly to, well, how do I take critical thinking or communication or collaboration and quickly shoehorn it into existing standards, which is uh, not a big necessarily, it can be, but it's not necessarily a big, compelling, dramatic vision. And so we felt like by emphasizing um, creative problem solving and self-directed creative problem solving that we could help people see a much bigger vision mm-hmm. and, and um, the goal of a dramatic changes in education, not little shoehorns of, of, of standards. So I think that Su- Susie, you may have a, an additional thought. Sure, Those are sure. two that come to me. Sure, sure. Um, so I, I would say Ken approached me about the idea of collaborating and our paths had crossed Uh, over the years, mainly around um, advocacy for project-based learning, something I've been really passionate about. I've written a number of books about. Ken had been very active, you know, as an advocate of project-based learning as well. Um, And he had also written a forward for me uh, for another book on stakeholder engagement, 
which I think is part of the same conversation that you need to get everybody on board. And in my own work as a, a project-based advocate, you know, I've worked with schools all around the world and I've seen tremendous success stories, but I've also seen just pockets of success. And at the same time, we're hearing from students themselves that a lot of them don't see the connection between school and life. Uh, disengagement numbers, especially in the US, are still way too high. And so this idea that maybe there's some room here to push ahead and showcase those who are really on the leading edge of, of the bigger transformation that reaches all students and that addresses equity goals. Um, I was kind of all in as we talked about what this book might accomplish. So that's kind of how we came together. And then we've had a grand adventure in collaboration since then. Well, I know that uh, a part of the, I think the part of the power, the compelling aspect of your book is the fact that you tell so many wonderful stories of this work uh, going on in districts across the country. So it's not just a pipe dream out there or some you know, people really doing this work at scale, which um, you all alluded to is really important. Um, so tell us about some of the more compelling examples that, that uh, of superintendent leadership that you'd like to highlight. Well, there, 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 um, there are a few great stories about superintendent leadership, uh, one of which is yours, but we'll, we'll share that another time. <laughs> not, uh, not the one about me. But, you know, one, one of the stories that I didn't really fully understand or appreciate was that of uh, David James in Akron. And um, he, uh, a mutual friend of ours in Northeast Ohio, I told him what the book was about. And he said, you've got to talk to David James. And the story there is a long story of 13 year journey where he actually um, had been uh, the, the, the COO of the district and did sort of the financial piece and put his name in as superintendent and uh, kept saying to people as he started, um, we got to do this based on the needs of the kids. What's best for kids? And that was his mantra. And uh, along his journey, he realized that he thought his high school students just weren't ready for life beyond high school. And he went looking for an example and found it in Nashville, I think, um, and took a group, initially took a group to visit and see these career academies and came back and couldn't light a fire under the community, couldn't get it going. And he said, I'm putting it on a back burner until it's time. And about four years later, the business community uh, uh, reorganized itself, had a new leader who was the head of uh, the children's hospital in Akron. And David approached him and said, I wanna go back to Nashville and I wanna take a bigger group. And he was all on board. They took 20 people and this time, he lit the fire and they realized that this was something dramatically different that they that they could do. Um, and when they came back, they partnered with the people uh, next uh, Ford Next Generation Learning. Um, and their requirement to get started is to create a portrait of a graduate in the community to launch these career academies. So he went down that journey and now there are 15 career academies as he retired. Uh, just recently, there are now 15 career academies and very robust use of a portrait of a graduate. And, um, you know, to watch a, a superintendent sort of go at this for the long haul, mm -hmm. dip his toe in the water, realize the timing was wrong, come back and revisit it 
and, and base it in a community-based decision to go forward. It was just very, very powerful to talk to him. And we got to talk to um, a number of the other folks in Akron who worked with him. And I, I think that's one of the, the, the stories that really moved me uh, 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 with regard to superintendent leadership. Yeah, Susie, I'd love to hear your your yes, answer there, too. But before you do that, sure. I want to I want to add something else to what Kim was talking about. I'd love for you to weigh in. But yeah, you know, I find that though the the in bringing the community along with you in this journey is really essential. Yes, and critical. you mentioned that Ken, and you're talking about the Akron story with David James. Can you just elaborate a little bit more on on that? Because I know that we both you know that that's an important piece of getting the community you know, helping them be a meaningful part of this, this kind of change. Yeah, I think it, it came up in Akron in two ways. The first is he didn't feel he had the ability to move a project that ambitious until some key players in the community, including the business community, were prepared to uh, step up and, and really participate. So one was, is my community ready? The second was, well, if we're gonna do a portrait of the graduate, it actually has to be very broad based in all kinds of community players. And so in that story, they, they, they really developed a portrait of a graduate with lots and lots of stakeholders so that they feel that that document, which identifies the skills that are important, was really based in a community conversation, not something that the district imposed on the community. So those are at least two examples there that I think emphasize the importance of community. Absolutely. Which is actually an expertise of, of Susie's. <laughs> it's just so important. So can I jump in with another example? Um, a different district, different size and scale of district. Uh, this is Pike County, Georgia. Uh, Mike Duncan is the superintendent there, has been in that role as a superintendent for a long time, which isn't always the case, as you know. There's often a lot of turnover at the top, but he'd been there quite a long time, had a great track record of his students um, doing quite well when it came to achievement scores, when it came to graduation rates, those traditional metrics his district was just outstanding at. One day he has a conversation with a German exchange student who had spent a year in Pike County schools. She was getting ready to leave, stopped by to say, thanks for letting me be a student in your system. And he said, well, can you tell me for a minute, what was it like here and what was different from here and you know your school in Germany? And she just got right to it. And she said, well, in Germany, we learn things so that we can then solve problems, apply what we've learned to solve a problem. Here, they give you the answer and you just need to remember it and give them the right answer back. And he thought, oh my gosh, what are we doing here? What are we preparing ourselves for? And that launched him into community conversations with his parents. He went to his parents and said, what do you want your kids to be able to do and know by the time they finish here? And it wasn't about memorizing facts and regurgitating the right answers. It was about being able to solve problems, um, you know, step up, uh, apply what you know, uh, tackle the, the challenges ahead, be ready for change, all those things that we know are critically important. And so what I really admire about his story is um, he went to all of his teachers individually. This is not an enormous district. So, you know, he has that kind of relationship. He went to each one and said, look, trust me. And putting words in his mouth here, but he basically said, I've got your back. We're going to try something new. We're gonna go forward with authentic learning. We're gonna figure out what that means. We're gonna get help with this. We're gonna take our time. And if our test scores drop, that's on me. 
Um, I'm gonna, you know, carry the responsibility for the risk, but I want you to be part of this journey. And they used, you know, their structures they had in place for professional learning communities, gave teachers a voice to work together, and they're continuing their journey. They're multiple years in now, and they just get deeper and deeper into what does it mean for students to have authentic learning experiences. And for me, what was wonderful about that story is that it came from a student, a student who's opened his eyes to the idea that this system is not really preparing us for the world we're heading into. Um, and he was willing to listen to that and make some hard changes. Um, so that was one that really stood out. So Great example. I've actually seen a video that he recorded of that student. So compelling. Yeah, he um, shared that video all over with his community. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's again, it's back to student students listening to the voice of, of students about their experience in our systems can be can be you know certainly uh, either affirming or certainly uh, a cause to you know step step back and really listen and uh, shape a different change. Yeah. Uh, in the book, you you lay out kind of five areas of emphasis. And Ken, I wanted you to talk a little bit about sustainability. Yes. And after that, Susie, if you would talk a little bit about civic engagement, I'd love to. Well, you know, our goal here was to try, as I said earlier, to really emphasize creative problem solving. And we didn't want it to be too theoretical. The term by itself is just too amorphous. And so we ourselves actually had to enter into a phase in which we sort of determine which are the contexts in, kid, in which kids are excited about and which are the contexts in which there, there's, I know, an area you care deeply about in which inherently there is deep content mastery required, but also um, other related skills like communications and advocacy and, um, and, and problem solving. So um, the area of sustainability comes out over and over again in the book and we, it's almost in every chapter and, and um, for one reason or another, but maybe my favorite story happened in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, there was a teacher who started the day uh, early in, it started the semester in September, and she had what she thought were a couple of students in the back, off, very, very much off task. They were singing about mushrooms, and she got more and more frustrated with them, trying to get them to calm down, and one of her students that she really respects walked up to her, and, and young young woman said to her, they're singing to mushrooms in the back of the room. You better go see what's going on. So she goes and looks and sure enough, there is this row of mushrooms growing at the bottom of the wall at the back wall. And they all of a sudden, uh, a light bulb went off to her that she and several of her students have been sick with allergic reactions to things the last several weeks. So she realized that it may well be related to the mold and the mushrooms. And then all of a sudden, there's this, all the kids are asking her questions. Where did they come from? Are they dangerous? What can we do about it? Um, does this happen in other classrooms? So she had been trained by a group called Earth Force um, and had professional development for, for this. And the whole idea was to find an area the kids were passionate about and have them commit to scientific fact finding about a problem for a semester. So she took a group of six kids and they started doing the fact finding around 
What can we really measure here? How do we quantify it? Is it going on in the other buildings? Is it going on in other classrooms? And she had them present at the in December mm -hmm. um, at the science fair, or at the, uh, and and there were fortunately there was a member of the school board, there was a member of um, somebody from the mayor's office that was looking at this science fair, and they looked at this exhibit and realized this was documentation of a serious problem in the schools. The second semester of the course is devoted to public advocacy. And she had the group break into two parts beginning in January, one to advocate in the school district and the other to advocate at the state legislature. Uh, the school district then by the end of the semester adopted an anti-mushroom mold policy. And the kids, it obviously was gonna take longer, the kids started working with a local state senator and within um, 18 months of the beginning of their work, they actually had a state statute passed, which requires school district reporting on mushrooms and mold, and then uh, coming back with um, uh, 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 plans for remediation. And so what stands out to me about this story is a couple of things. One, and I, I know something, this is something the three of us care deeply about, um, we always assume this work can be done without support for teachers and Earth Force happens to be a program that really scaffolded this work in a way that the teacher had the tools and the understanding of how do I create the fact finding period and how do I create the advocacy period and how do I blend them together. So the support for teachers was was there. Um, and then the other thing is, is that uh, the students uh, uh, basically said you know, this has changed our lives forever. This is a story we will hold with us forever because this is hard work, it is perseverance, but we really made a difference and we really care about uh, this problem. And the convert, they are still organized today and they still do advocacy around this work uh, as students. And, um, and, and this, I, I, you know, these were middle schoolers. That's the mm -hmm. other thing that really stands out. These are not high school students at the end of these career. These are middle schoolers doing this in sensational uh, analysis and advocacy work. So that, that's one of my favorite stories in the book and, and, um, and, and, and really spoke to me about how sustainability and the environment is one of the areas where kids really get deeply committed to doing very worthwhile work. Yeah, you know, and and think about everything that they learned, the skills they learned that are, you know, can be tra you know transferred to any anything they're experiencing, what experiencing in life or in their own families or in their communities. That experience of researching, identifying solutions, advocating for those solutions, um, that's really powerful, um, powerful learning, and something they're proud will be proud of for many years to come. So Susie, what you're going to talk a little bit about civic engagement sure. as another part of your, your book. That was a big focus for us. Um, and, mm -hmm. and we found examples from elementary all the way through you know, middle and high school. Um, and we, we found examples that dealt in um, non-controversial topics as well as more controversial topics that systems managed to navigate. One of the ones that, that stood out for me um, was from uh, Anaheim you, uh, Union High School District in California. Um, so picture yourself, you're a high school principal, I think it was Savannah High School, and you have a, a student and parent come in and they're very upset about the mascot. Um, the mascot harken back to the Confederacy. Um, here's an African-American 
parent and student uh, saying, this has got to change. And now, boom, you're right in the middle of a controversy. Um, that district uh, has a superintendent, Michael Matsuda, who is very committed to civic um, education of students and civic empowerment of students. So the principal and superintendent decided, here's a learning experience for our high school students. They're gonna navigate this. They're gonna lead us through this controversy. And you're gonna hear a, a parallel theme here that teachers in this um, district had been trained in uh, through a program called Democracy School which mm -hmm. teaches how to bring out different points of view, how to reach consensus, how to navigate controversies without, you know, getting furious at each other or losing, breaking communication, you know, how to, how to find your way through um, to solutions that work for the whole community. So the entire high school took part in the structured uh, fact-finding, perspective hearing, empathy interviews, Socratic seminars, all of these ways to arrive at uh, recommendation for the school board on what to do about this mascot. And at the end of that, right before they um, spoke to the school board, they had a hearing that was publicized um, and it was totally led by students. The press was there, adults were listening, but as the, the principal said, this is a day for students to lead. And they talked about how they had worked through controversy, how they had heard all perspectives and they were able to move forward. And the you know, the school board um, took up their recommendation. So for me, that was a great example, again, of students being really empowered to act on issues that mattered to them, but not just being thrown out into, okay, figure it out, kids. They had a structure. They had teachers who understood how to, you know, scaffold this experience, how to make sure that there was really good learning about how to listen, how to hear different perspectives, how to recognize a perspective other than your own, how to reach consensus, and then how to communicate your ideas in a way that's gonna take down the temperature a little bit if it's a, if it's a hot topic. And I think that's something, you know, in this moment, we all can benefit uh, from students who have that capacity to lead us through controversy. Uh, they showed what we can, what kids can do in Anaheim. And again, we saw this from all the way from elementary kids taking the lead on issues um, not always hot controversies, but definitely issues that matter um, all the way up through high school. That's a great example. And, and I know you've included several other examples uh, in the book around, you know, when we give students the right structure, as you pointed out, Susie, and the right supports, you know, I think we'd all be amazed at what they can accomplish and what they can mm -hmm. contribute. So I, I love those examples. Um, and I think in many ways, if we can elevate and highlight a lot more experiences like that through a child's education or student's education, um, it'll be much more meaningful to them at the end I, of the day. I think, Karen, you know, the one thing is the, 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 the thing that we tried to marry with the examples, because they're very concrete and very specific, is what are the bolder challenges that leaders mm -hmm. can grab and put in place as a result? So, for example, in the sustainability area, uh, students could play an incredible role in um, co-authoring planning around uh, uh, like school design, like school, school design, but also uh, carbon-free mm -hmm. uh, policies for a district. Just think about if every district in the country signed up now uh, for some kind of carbon-neutral strategy mm -hmm. by the year 2030, mm -hmm. but brought kids in to help design that and to help implement it. Um, so actually, there's opportunities here to take very, very bold stands. We didn't suggest that everybody do all of these examples at once, right. but we, we did say that we thought civic engagement was something that 
mm -hmm. uh, given the state of our society that, that, that leaders can't take a pass on. Uh, but a lot of these examples, even around the environment, includes civic engagement because there's an advocacy uh, uh, component to it. Right, right. And, and our young people really care about that issue, as, as we all should. But I, I find that it's particularly compelling for a lot of our young people today. Um, so I, I, I think it's an excellent example. I also am very impressed with school boards and superintendents that you know, give students an opportunity to shape board policies and really adopt those. And I think that's, you know, that's a, a powerful, uh, certainly example. In, in the book, and this is kind of, I think goes to this next topic around equity, you talked about three action steps and, and one of them was anchoring the work in equity, uh, which is so important. So I'd love for you both to kind of talk about that just a little bit more and how maybe district leaders could think about um, 21st century learning uh, from a, with an equity lens. I think we, we both have uh, some strong, you know, that's a, a theme that persists throughout the book. And particularly at this moment, it seems to be such an important, you know, it's never been elevated more than in the last year or so, I think. So um, uh, some of the examples that, that we really focused on look at, um, I think two different uh, ways to think about equity. One is making sure you're really hearing all voices. So when you're, even from the very beginning, when you're developing your portrait of a graduate, your vision statement, are you hearing from all your stakeholders? And if there are stakeholders who have not been heard from in the past, are you finding ways to bring them into the conversation? Are you overcoming those barriers? What we heard from an example from Lindsay, California, a little district out in the Central Valley in California, uh, largely uh, Latino community. Um, they did these listening uh, sessions with their communities, you know, dozens and dozens of them to create a vision for the future of their students. They did them in English and in Spanish with translation. They provided transportation, they provided food. They wanted everybody on board and the message was overwhelming from parents saying, make life better for our students than it is for us. We want a better future for our kids. Um, and, you know, so these were parents who didn't necessarily have a voice in education mm -hmm. in the past. So part of it is making sure when you, you think about stakeholder engagement, you're getting all voices um, represented. And then the other is, as you're moving forward with your vision, you can't just say, we're going to do creative problem solving for our exceptional students who are really high achievers or who are those who have a strong STEM interest, you really need to think about is your uh, vision reaching all students and meeting them, you know, wherever they are and bringing them along with the support and resources that they need. If there have been achievement gaps in the past, if there have been equity gaps in the past, um, you know, one example was uh, a district that's doing student-led IEPs uh, so that students uh, who are, you know, have special needs, they're having a voice in their own education and they're getting support in, in how to lead that conversation, how to have a stake in it. So we look for equity in every story, in every district we talk with. And, and Ken, I'm sure you're going to have more, um, well, more I, I to just, share. Just make an observation about it. I, I, and I know Karen shared, when you go to create a portrait of a graduate in your community, um, you need to bring the equity perspective to it from the beginning, or you're gonna reinforce the inequitable parts of the, of the district. So we treated it in the book as a critical moment um, to say, you know, if you're looking for your North Star, you gotta have an equity conversation because uh, 
have you gotten your old vision to everybody? And now you have to commit your new North Star to every student in every part of the district. And, and that means, um, you know, we were very uh, impressed with the, some of the work in Humble ISD in Texas, uh, where they actually assigned points uh, based on, on underserved districts and underserved and, and, and have really made a commitment to redistribute resources so that every kid was getting uh, a part of their portrait of a graduate strategy. And it's created, um, they've had a major e equity conversation there in, in, with regard to their portrait of graduate. So that's just a concrete example of using your portrait of a graduate moment to revisit your equity stance. Right, and keeping that conversation going. I mean, I think one of the examples we loved was from Bellingham, Washington, where they have the Bellingham Promise, which is a community uh, a commitment to serving all students. And by continuing to come back to that, you know, are we, are we delivering? Are we reaching the needs of all students? They've been able to identify gaps. And for example, um, they looked at the costs of um, extracurricular activities and school supplies and how those were being um, unfairly uh, placed on the shoulders of parents least able to afford them. So students in, in schools um, with the highest poverty were facing the, the highest out of pocket expenses. So they took away all costs for extracurriculars across the district. They just said, nope, this needs to be, you know, it needs to be reaching every Valuable. single student. And, and, mm -hmm. You know, it's data-driven decision-making, um, but but the data revealed that, you know, we are not delivering on this promise. Uh, we are not being equitable and here's a way to solve it. So they've continued to come back um, to that promise and measure it and analyze it and work toward it. It really is the North Star and report on it. I think that's important too. They let their community know, here's where we're at. Here's where we're trying to get to. Here's how we're doing today. You know, this work, I think the equity piece is so important. Um, and in order to, to scale uh, a portrait of a graduate and make that be the lived experience for every student in a system, you really have to approach it in a different way from a systemic perspective. And it requires kind of a different look at your overall system, uh, I think in, in, in totality. Uh, but Susie, you talked about some of those pockets, you know, that, mm -hmm. that districts have. You know, and, and I think that those can be leveraged, you know, how do you identify those, consider them assets, but then how do we leverage those and scale them so that all students, um, you know, have those experiences? Yeah, that's really important. I mean, we talk about, um, you know, the, many of the stories in our book we describe as field trips. Like, let's go take a look and see what sustainability looks like or civic engagement looks like. But we've also seen great success in districts that use their own examples as field trips for their colleagues. So yeah. let's find a classroom in our own school, in our own school system, we can go visit and learn from. You don't always have to look to the outside for, for inspiration and innovation. It's often in your own district, but needs a little amplification. Uh, and, you know, that kind of shines a spotlight on good practice and lets teachers step into that teacher leader role that many are ready for and eager yeah. for. Um, so that idea of, of growing from those pockets, but the goal being reaching all your all your students in um, whatever it takes to support and scaffold that experience so that they can be successful. So what kind of impact you know do you hope that this book has on the field? Well um well, for a, a couple that come to mind um, quickly, one is I hope 
that there'll be more and more districts that see the absolute necessity of adopting a portrait of a graduate and a portrait of an educator. And um, you know, I, I don't know what where you think, Karen, adoption is today, but maybe it's 10% of districts um, at the most. And uh, you know, we my hope is that this will be part of work that you're doing, others are doing to add credence to the necessity to create a new North Star, or as we say in the book, redefining student success. And so my our hope on this point is that it seems like a really good moment that the post-COVID world, or maybe we're still in the COVID world, this COVID world is really getting people to realize they really do need to redefine student success. And so we're hopeful that we're giving them tools and ideas and stories uh, that will contribute to their uh, willingness to do that. Um, so that's one piece. And then secondly, um, you know, we hope that it will contribute to more dramatic uh, transformation and more bold leadership where teachers and, and particularly focused on creative problem solving. Um, we think that if people realize, you know, yes, it's good to create a, um, uh, a portrait of a graduate, but sometimes that's just a word and people don't really prioritize. What we're seeing now is we need to move from a world of test taking to a world of creating creative problem solvers. And that's the fundamental shift underway. And we're urging leaders to provide the bold leadership to, to lead that, that transformation. And Susie, you, I'm sure you have a couple other Sure, thoughts. sure. You know, we want nothing less than um, fantastic learning experiences for every kid. That's our, <laughs> that's our small ambition. Um, but I think one of the, the tools we hope leaders will recognize, they have so available to them is the power of storytelling. And we try to demonstrate in the, in the book that, look, these things are already happening. Here's what it looks like. Here's the growth that happened for the students, the teachers across the system. You probably have stories like that in your own system. And if you're not sharing those stories, if you're not listening for them, looking for them, visiting classrooms, um, and then finding ways to really showcase those, shine a spotlight on them, you're missing an opportunity to lead in a really positive direction. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about the importance of resilience and turning a, a crisis into an opportunity, which I think a lot of districts have done during this year of the pandemic. Uh, they have looked for ways to build back stronger and come out of this experience um, with a real recommitment uh, to what's most important for their students. But I think uh, the more leaders can keep their communities both informed and excited about the potential. Here are the problems our students are solving today. You know, they're not waiting till they're college or graduate students um, to really contribute uh, to our society in meaningful ways. They're doing that right now with the support of our school system. So think if we can lift those stories up in every community, um, we're gonna build some more the momentum that we we know we need and it's going to keep those supporters connected to you know everybody wants to be part of a powerful story like that uh, so i think it's going to bring forth the, the partners who might be sitting on the sidelines and seeing you know we could be part of this too yeah, this Aaron, is one, of, one of the concrete uh numbers we put out in the book in terms of impact was that our hope is 10 years from now 30 to 50% of a student's day is spent working on meaningful creative problem solving. And so that's a, a concrete goal that I think would help people understand where are they with regard to that today and what do they have to do 
to make that a reality for every student. You know, this, this moment in time seems like a one, you know, I think we've learned a lot in the last year and a half with oh, COVID. Yeah. I think we've learned that, you know, school systems can be more agile than what we thought, that we can change more quickly than what we thought. I think we've, it's also really shone a light on the fact that the current system of education, the traditional uh, model of education is sorely inadequate in, in terms of preparing our students for, um, you know, to thrive in, in this rapidly changing and very complex world. So I'm hoping that a lot of people will pick up your book, hoping a lot of people will read it. I will tell you at the end of every chapter, there's some really, really great questions that you can use with your leadership team. So I'd say go to Amazon, order, order a copy of the book and use it with your leadership teams. I think you'll find it really compelling. We I do want, um, yeah. do want to ask you to talk a little bit about the parent and student guides. I'm just going to jump there. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we appreciate your endorsement of the book. It's really uh, wonderful to hear. Um, we want to grow this conversation. And so we, we created discussion guides for both parents and students, and they're available in English and Spanish. And these are free downloads to use with your your community. They're very visual and graphic. And I'll tell you that uh, they were uh, developed in collaboration with a wonderful artist, Rachel Bryan. And the, the reason they're as beautiful as they are, we're very proud of them, is because we, we took time to do some focus groups with students and parents. And Ken and I are pretty wordy people. And we wrote some very extensive, useful, packed with information guides that were not 30 pages <laughs> it was dense and we turned it over to our focus groups and they said whoa give us some pictures make these visual cut out some of the language here and we took it to heart um, and we wound up with four page guides one for parents one for students and a poster uh, for classrooms um, and they get I, I think will inspire some conversations about what really matters what do you care about for your kids, for yourself. And then because we didn't wanna let go of all those other wonderful resources, there's some supplemental materials as well if you wanna dig a little deeper and read some of the background um, that we drew on to create these guides. Very good, thank you. So any, any last comments you wanna make? Anything else you wanna add, Ken or Susie? Well, I just, Karen, I just wanna say, I'm so glad you enjoyed the book. It means a lot. Um, you're, you're, you are a huge, uh, leader in the field, and we're, we couldn't be happier that it resonated with you. So we, we really, it means a lot that, 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 that you liked it and that you uh, feel that it can be helpful to uh, the field and to your work. So we're, we're, we, that, that, that makes, makes us feel terrific. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And as we said, we're just hoping to grow the conversation. So you're, you're certainly helping us do that, Karen, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, I think it will have a positive impact in the field. I really do. I think people are searching for, and there are not a lot of things you can read or study to help you think about this work and, and the way in which you've, you've done it. And the examples I think are really powerful um, in the book. It really helps people see that, you know, I, I can lead this. I can start this work in my own community or with my own school district. So I, I thank you for, um, you know, writing this book and contributing the field to the field and to this discourse in this way. So thank you all so much for joining me today. Patel for Kids thanks Ken Kay and Susie Boss for this conversation about their book, Redefining Student Success, and for their impact on education transformation. The Ed Spark 21 podcast is a production of Vattel for Kids. 
Patel for Kids collaborates with school systems and communities to realize the power and promise of 21st century learning for every student. Visit bfk.org to learn more. The music heard in this podcast is On Fire by Sasha Ende, copyright 2019 and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. All other content in this episode of EdSpark 21 is the intellectual property of Battel for Kids. Other podcasts and blog posts from Battel for Kids can be found at bfk.org.